This episode of the Transparency Podcast is sponsored today by the 150 Quick and Easy Recipes to Transform Your Body Cookbook. If you're the type that like to build lean muscle and have a great figure, then now is the time for you to learn more about this amazing book, The 150 Quick and Easy Recipes to Transform Your Body. Pack with some of your favorite recipes for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks in between. For more information, visit www.yourbestlifestyles.com. That's right, that's www.yourbestlifestyles.com. What's up, everybody? This is your girl, Butterbee Rocka, and we are on the Transparency Podcast. I am so blessed to have one of my friends who is awesome, awesome, awesome on the uh, video with us today. But before we get to him, please, guys, make sure that you are taking care of yourself with this coronavirus. Take it serious. Um, stay home if you need to stay home. If you need to get out, get out and then bring your butt back home and keep keep your, your family and everybody safe. And in the meantime, when you're home, make sure that you elevate your mind and, and get creative. This is, a, this is a perfect opportunity for you to learn new things, for you to do a lot of stuff. So make sure you're elevating your mind and make sure you guys go and get my boys magazine, Defiant Ones Team Magazine. The next issue comes out on April 15th, which is right around the corner. It's a magazine for teams, by teams. Um, not only do they highlight teens and young adults um, that are athletes and entrepreneurs and stuff, but they talk about financial literacy, mental health and wellness, uh, a lot of different things. So make sure you guys check it out. But without further ado, I would like to bring on Mr. John Roberts. Hey, what's that? How you doing? I'm well. I'm doing good. I feel good. You do? You look good. Man, I'm working. My wife made me, she saved, told me to shave my beard because I had dyed it for, <laughs> for a photo shoot. Yeah. And it started growing out. Mm -hmm. And it was looking brown and red. And oh, you <laughs> went like, colorful. You did a butter move. Yeah, she, Colors. She was like, nah. <laughs> you ain't going to do something with that. <laughs> well, I, I like the salt and pepper look, my brother. It looks good on me. Yeah, I, you know, if, I used to be self-conscious about it at first. Yeah. Um, because when, when it first started coming in, I, that was around when the time I was working with Jagged Edge. And they was like, man, you can't be going on stage looking like my like daddy and stuff, you know? So <laughs> that's what made me start dying. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, I earned this. This is a badge of honor. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, now now people people love that. People love beards and the grays and the blacks. People like them beards, man. They don't care what color it is, as long as it's a beard. Yeah, and mine, you know, naturally grows all white. So when it's really? full, it's like all white. Okay. I'm thankful for that. Well, I want to take this time to introduce Mr. John Roberts. So can you tell everyone who you are? Uh, yeah, I am John Roberts, born and raised in Gary, Indiana. Uh-oh. In Terrytown. Um, been in Atlanta now for over 30, 30 years, I think, wow. about 33 years. 
So I guess I'm kind of like an ATL. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so you being very modest right now, you are also a musician, you're an oh, artist, <laughs> you're a vocalist, you are owner of Blue Room Studios, and you're a producer. Yes, all of that stuff. I try not <laughs> to talk about it a lot because sometimes to me, it kind of feel like you're bragging, you know? Right. So I, you know, you know how some people be, you know, be tripping or whatever. Not that I care. You know, like I said, I earned every bit of the way that I, where I am right now. So, yeah, you know, that's just I, what it I, I understand that. I think that's, uh, sometimes I feel that way um, when I'm posting stuff online too, where I feel like, you know, and it's not that we're bragging, but you, you're excited about, you know, things that you've accomplished and different things like that. And sometimes I feel like, people get tired of saying congratulations that oh she's trying to just throw it in her face and brag and it's like nah I worked hard to get this and this and this and you know I'm excited about it so I have the right to say and express myself but sometimes I do feel like well maybe I shouldn't post it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I got man I got so much stuff that I could post and I think that was the main reason why I didn't yeah but re you know looking back and reflecting over some of the things and having conversations with some of my mentors, just like, yo, you you need to talk about, you got a lot to say to yeah. people in this industry, you know, so yeah. I'm, I'm slowly getting there and you helping me. Okay, well, good. So let's let's slowly dive on into, you know, all these amazing things that, you, that you've that you done. I mean, uh, I understand you don't really like to brag about it, but we are gonna talk about it a little bit if that's all right. Okay. All right, so you are, I met you, um, I don't even know how many years ago it is now, but um, you're an amazing bass player, and that's how I met you. I don't remember where or what show or any of that type of stuff, but can you um, tell our listeners um, your, about your musical journey playing the bass and um, some of the people you've worked with? Oh, man, yes. Uh, so... I was originally a drummer. Started out playing drums, and I played drums from the time that I was about three to about 14, 15, I think it was. Hmm. And I was in a band, um, neighborhood band, playing the drums. And I was like the youngest guy in the band. You know, everybody else was seniors in high school I was in the seventh grade you know oh, wow. right because you know I, we all stayed on the same block or whatever and it was a guy named Teddy Roach on keys uh, Rick Davis on bass and I was on drums and this guy named Billy Shelton on guitar and Billy's family um his I think it was his dad was part of the Spaniards like so they was in the, in the business already, and I was just a little kid. Right. You know, and I remember um, back then, um, there was a, a funk group out of Ohio called Slave, and they had this song called Slide. Dum, 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 dum. And when I heard that, I was like, that's kind of dope. <laughs> you know? So our bass player in the band that I was playing with at the time, he was buying a new bass. And he was like, yeah, man, I think I'm going to sell my bass. So I ran down the street. I said, why? Can you buy me this bass? She said, how much is it? I said, he want $40. That's all he wanted, $40. She bought me the bass. And I never looked back. 
Really? I never knew you played drums. Oh yeah. yeah, I still do kind of like, I do a lot of stuff in the studio, guitars and piano, all of that. But bass is like probably my primary instrument. You know, mm -hmm. like that's when I go get the checks. I go, I play that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's super cool. Hold on one second, okay? Hold on. Okay, so what are who are some of the people you've worked with? Um, man, you know, one of my first major gigs, um, I was 15, I think. I had just turned 15. Mm -hmm. My my dad had bought me a new bass. And I got to tell you the backdrop to this, but it was weird how I got the gig because, you know, up north, almost on every block was a band, just like a gang, you know, like everybody played where I'm from. So right. it was nothing to ride down the street and see a band set up in front of the house jamming out, you know, it was nothing to see that. So I was sitting on the porch when on, this was like a, a couple of days before my birthday. And I was sitting on the porch playing, and this van rolls by. They had the sliding door open, music blasting, and they was pointing. All I saw was some dudes pointing. I'm thinking they trying to take my bass, so I ran in the house. <laughs> they came and knocked on the door and said, sir, your son played bass. We need a, We desperately need a bass player. We got a gig out of town, Rock Island, Illinois, opening up for the time and all these people. Wow. Our bass player was in a car wreck yesterday and got burned over 70% of his body. And they didn't even know if I could play. They just saw me. So my dad was like, well, if you think he good enough. So he, they took me by and I, I remember I had to learn 30 songs and I went by there and I played the songs and they was like, man, this dude is, and they was all grown men. Like, they was like, man, he can play. Wow. And the gig was with, you remember Jesse Powell? Mm-hmm. It was with him, his sister Trina, and his mom, Emerald. And we had a band called Sheer Joy. And that was like, get my feet wet. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then we did the gig, Rock Island. Um, came back and I played with them for a few years. Um, and then I was with a band called Cruise Control, which was... Right a band that I played with, with in high school and we were like the the new up and coming Jackson 5 like everybody yeah. knew we were like stars at home and I did that until um, I got my high school sweetheart pregnant and I was like the band was breaking up and I had to figure out something so I went into the army yeah. and that's when things kind of paused a little bit for me but the the real stuff didn't start happening until after that okay after you got um, out. yeah when i got out i was a mechanic diesel truck mechanic i hated it because <laughs> i hated it with a passion so i was like i, I want to do music like i really want to do music and i remember watching the soul train it was the first soul train music awards and doing a commercial they showed a commercial about the Art Institute, you know, which was located in Buckhead. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a music business program. You had, you learn how to engineer and video and management, concert production and promotion and all this stuff, right? I was like, 
that might be kind of cool because I, I can play a little bit. So if I notice other stuff, that might help me later on, you know. Right. So came to Atlanta, a friend of mine named Terry Carroll, she was already here and we was writing songs over the phone and I'll send a cassette tape, the music she'll sing, sing on it, send it back. You know, we, we had an unorthodox way of writing music, but it worked, you know. And um, she invited me down to stay with her and her family. I slept on the floor for a little while until it was time for me to get into school. And when I got in school, that's when everything really started happening. You know, um, I met this guy named Joe Smith, mm -hmm. um, who was a graphic art student there. And his cousin named Kim. And she was in a music program, but she was a few quarters behind me. So we didn't really connect like that. But one, uh, we used to hang out on Monday nights, uh, watch football and stuff. And he was like, yo, man, check out this thing I did in my project uh, class. And I was like, oh, that's dope. Cause he, you know, and then I was like, yo, man, check out this song I wrote, you know, so, so he was like, oh man, I'm gonna let my aunt hear it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I had no idea who his aunt was, mm -hmm. but his aunt was Zetra Smith and Merle Smith, and they were the people who came to Atlanta to set up the Face Records. Wow. And that's when my story started. Um, they was going to sign me as a artist producer. Mm -hmm. um, where I would be producing for other artists and writing songs and, and, and an artist as myself. And this was actually before Damien Dame and Jermaine Jackson, I think they was like the first two artists that came out, but I was supposed to be in that mix back then. And right when everything was finalizing, my mother, I got a call about her having colon cancer. And I ended up going back home and then my dad made me come back. Like, no, you need to finish what you started. She gonna be all right. And she ended up passing away. And that that just killed my whole music passion. So I didn't really do anything until, that was like 1989, by the way. And I didn't do anything until like 1994, I think it was. Wow. Um, BB and CC Whining was auditioning music musicians for their heaven tour. And I went and auditioned. All these bass players was there and it came down to me and there's one other good, awesome bass player named Alex Evans. Like this dude is phenomenal. He my boy. He, he actually plays bass with Patty LaBelle right now. And um, the music director, Mark Harris, he said, I got to pick him, you know, but I really like your playing. He's like, I think I know somebody who needs a bass player. I'm going to give you their number. So he gave me this guy's number. It turned out to be Byron Cage. Mm. So I ended up auditioning with them and ended up playing. I was the bass player for New Bird for eight years. And that tour that I auditioned for lasted two weeks. Wow. So it was like, I guess I was destined to be there. Yeah. So of course, you know, being there and they had a lot of different artists coming through there. Fred Hammond, Kirk Franklin, uh, Yolanda Adams. I ended up playing with all of these people at least once or twice. 
you know, so the bug started getting back in me, you know, and then we started uh, doing clubs like Chit Chats, 20 grand and all of those, you know, and it was so much fun, but it didn't pay nothing, but it was so much fun to play. And um, man, it was just, a, it was a, a zigzag journey to where I am right now, but I'm thankful and grateful for every piece of it because okay. all of the people that I met along the way from Keisha Jackson to Denise Howard, who's my manager, um, um, Al Harris, Prep School Productions, like all of this stuff plays such a major role in who I am as as it relates to the music industry. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when you talk about paying dues, man, I think I don't pay every dude. I, I don't think I miss no dudes. I, you know what? I can absolutely relate. I swear I have paid every dude plus some. <laughs> so I can mm -hmm. understand what you mean by that. So who was your mentor? Um, I had several. Okay. One of the first ones was my dad, of course, Chris Roberts. Um, and then uh, Mr. Frank Russell, who was the manager of our band Cruise Control. He really poured everything into us as kids because, you know, we, we could have gotten in all kind of trouble. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we did. But, you know, like like he would, he was the Joe Jackson for us, yeah. which, which what we needed because yeah. we needed that that molding. And his, his wife, Miss Shelby Jean Russell, and my boy Derek, who his son, and, um, Frank Russell Jr., um, we called him Rocky. He was a bass player. So I had a lot of people around me, like, pushing me. But they were the, the early ones. And then when I got to Atlanta, um, you know, there there were bass players who took liking to me. Um, the Ronnie Harvells, um, Ronnie Garrett, like, oh, my God. Ronnie Garrett, Sam Sims, Avery Johnson, those guys. When you hear me play, you hear a piece of all of them. Uh, Kurt Mitchell. Mm -hmm. um, who else? Uh, those were like the ones that I can remember off the top of my head. But Ronnie Garrett, like people would always be like, yo, man, you you know, you got something, you know. <laughs> you got something, man. Ronnie was like one of those dudes who, you know, he wasn't trying to hate me. You know what I'm saying? He yeah, Ronnie's really a really good guy. Push Oh, okay. so, Myra Walker. Oh, Myra Walker. Myra Walker. Oh, my God. I could say so much, but, like, when you talk about being pushed to the limit, man, I owe her. Yeah. I owe her. That's real cool. Um, okay, so so let's go back a little bit. I mean, it's, it's, it's not often that somebody gets their first break on a, a major tour like like and then at age 15 like that's that's big because usually you know you you have a lot of baby steps and other things that you have to do so to to get out there so quickly um at age 15 i mean what was your experience being on the road at that age um it's kind of hard to describe because it was a bunch of firsts like yeah. first time this, first time that you know um, 
it just, you know, I just remember, you know, in my mind, I was still a kid, but it was like everybody treated me like I was an adult. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was there the whole time, you know what I'm saying, to make sure, like, oh, you ain't doing that. You <laughs> yeah. Know, come on, leave that girl alone, you know, all of that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. So, um, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of weird, you know, like, but like I said, I'm thankful for it because it kind of shaped me to who I am now. Mm-hmm. So you moved, you moved here. You uh, initially was in the church doing um, a lot of gospel artists. And then what, when did you turn and start working on R&B artists? And who so, did you work with? <laughs> um... I think early on, once the new birth thing, well, no, this because this was kind of around when um, I was still at new birth. But some of the early artists that I played with was Glenn Jones, mm-hmm. um, uh, Alex, Xander O'Neill, and Sherelle. Um, then I did the colored section tour with Donnie. We did that. We did 30, about almost 40 theaters with Boney James. So I got a chance to meet some other artists. And I played with uh, Patty Austin. Um, who else? Oh, man. Uh, let's see. I knew I should have wrote this stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, oh, you don't have to go uh, backwards. Who who are some of the um, people currently you've been working with? Might make the list. Oh, yeah. Well, currently, like I'm not doing a whole lot of touring, touring type stuff. Like mm-hmm. we do a bunch of runoffs. Like I've did, I've done Donnell Jones, um, Dave Hollister, Tony Rich, uh, Kiki Wyatt. Um, Joe. Uh, I love me some Joe. Oh man, that dude is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was this one kid, I think his name is Kevin. Oh man, what is his name? He does these videos where you, you know, where you put all the parts together and, and he, he sings these different parts. Uh, I forget his last name. Oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, uh, him, uh, Avery Wilson, oh, Q Parker. I mean, I'm talking about like some phenomenal singers. Yeah, like, you naming some some beast singers. Man, like <laughs> these, they do it so easy, and I just be looking at them like uh, Isaac Carey. You mm-hmm. know, all of these people I've played with, all of them, and, and, and like everybody that I play with, I take a little bit something from them, and. and put that over here with me yeah <laughs> I, that's um when i hear a riff i like i'll be like "Ooh, okay let me let me put that in my memory bank try a little bit <laughs> and uh, tony terry it. tony terry's like that too yeah like yeah. this just you know it just come out effortlessly you know um all these phenomenal people um i think i really enjoy playing with people i just love to play music and just yeah. To be honest with you, it's almost like I feel like I'm closest to God when I'm playing music. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Um, I definitely understand that. 
So it's like when, when I'm in that moment, I don't want to let go. Yeah. And I try to make it feel as good and as perfect as I can. Yeah. Without losing myself in it. Mm -hmm. Music is definitely um, my my go-to and my my way of expressing myself and just releasing. And I feel I feel more connected to the source, you know, just like what you was just saying. Um, it's just something about it for me. <laughs> so I definitely understand. So who? Um, what was your what's your most memorable moment of your tours or somebody that you played with? Um. Uh, one of them is meeting Stevie Wonder. Uh, when I was I was touring with the Universe Soul Circus, I was part of that band, nine-piece band, four horns, five horns. And the age bracket was between like 19 and 60. Mm. But when I tell you the talent range was phenomenal, that's when I first met Mike Burton. We had just mm -hmm. picked him up straight out of college. Yeah. And, and the stuff that he's doing now. Yeah. He was doing that then. Like y'all yeah. y'all just, just really seeing we it. Just catch up. Phenomenal. <laughs> like and funny is all get out. <laughs> but um yeah, when we met Stevie Wonder, like we um we was I think we was in LA and he asked to see the band. He was escorted to the back where we were and he was telling us how good we sounded, you know, and I was like, Man, thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I love me some Stevie Wonder, no lie. <laughs> that was definitely one memorable moment. Okay. Who who was somebody that you uh haven't worked with yet that you want to work with? Common. He's dope. Common. He's dope. Every time I hear him, I'm like, yo, I, I, I wanna work with that dude. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like, cause that. I, I could relate to him, and what's crazy is I didn't even know he was from Chicago. I thought he was like from, from the East Coast or, you know, New York or Philly or somewhere like that. And when I found out he's from Chicago, I was like, man, I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah. Do you do you do you know um the 17th floor by chance? Out of there um out of Gary, Indiana? Well, it was kind of like over near Chicago, Gary ish area. They probably was from Gary. And saying Chicago, cause you know Chicago, you know. But I'm gonna be straight up with you. I always rep Gary. I don't care how tore down my city may look. That place will always have my heart because that's where everything started. Yeah. All the Easter talent shows and Thanksgiving talent show. Shout out to uh, Doctor Vernon Smith because he would set up all these talent shows, and the whole city would shut down and come to it after they finished mm -hmm. eating. And we was always winning, <laughs> you know. So I'm gonna always rep my city. I, I love Atlanta. I used to come up to uh, to Gary uh, with the 17 floors, guy named Greg Thompson, um, and I used to come up there and tour and um, not tour. I used to come up there and record and stuff. And then okay. I performed at the um, um, House of Blues in Chicago and everything. Oh, nice. But I used to come up there and record, and um, I met Jesse Powell over at his house and I want to say his sister as well. Over yeah, Trina, Trina yeah, Tamla. They, yeah. uh, they was doing, uh, we was working on a song. So it was mm -hmm. real cool. Yeah, we okay. still stay in touch actually. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. So everybody thinks that um, in this industry, they see you. Um, didn't you work with Tyler Perry too? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, I did. Actually, I did a couple things with Tyler. Through Ronnie, my friend Ronnie Garrett. Thank right. you, Ronnie. Um, I think the first thing I did was it was a scene in a movie with Mary J. Blige. That's the one that Trina and um, Katie and all of them are in, too. Was it? Uh, no. Um, what's her name? Taraji. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I could do bad all by myself. Yeah. So it was me, uh, awesome musician Tommy Powell, um, uh, um, Marcus Williams on drums, Vance Taylor on keyboards. I can't remember if we had a guitar player, but we was playing this scene with Marvin Wine and this song that he was singing that Tommy Sims wrote. Mm-hmm. And that was my first thing, and then course the have and the have not play i did uh um i forget it was quite a, it was like almost a, almost half a little bit more than half of the tour mm-hmm. and we did uh dvd tapings over at uh, um, the theater in cobb county um, whatever that place is cobb energy cobb energy yeah so i did like four tapings filled in for Ronnie. Like that that dude, man, he been he be really looking out for me. Hopefully I made him proud. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Ronnie Ronnie is definitely a great dude. Um he's he's had me on several of his shows before. He's always been a really amazing guy. All right, so so people see, you know, all of these celebrities and all of these big shows and stuff that you've done, but, and they think that, that you just got there just like that and like there wasn't any any um, dues that you had to pay. So what was some of your struggles and everything? The main thing is just like in anything else, you know, it's, it's really like a competition. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I hate using this word, and I'm gonna use it loosely, but it's for real. And that's clicks. Yeah. Because yeah. there are definitely musician clicks. Yeah. You know, certain people they want. Uh, yeah. Nah. I want, you know. And it's not that you're not qualified. It's just that, you know, people are comfortable with who they're comfortable with, right. or they just wanna work with who they wanna work with. In some cases, then in some cases it's about budget. It's like. Well, I can't. I know I can't get over on him, so I ain't gonna even call. Him, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because some sometimes rejection is protection. Yeah, yeah, definitely, no. definitely. What's your take on um, um, a lot of Atlanta? And I'm just saying Atlanta because this is where you know I reside. Um, I don't usually have this problem when I'm out of town with bookings and everything. But what's up with the clubs here um, and the pay? <sighs> Okay, so let me let me just break that all the way down. Um, the pay really has never been that great. Like when I when I was telling you the chit chats and the twenty grands and all that, we was making forty dollars a piece. Wow. So in order to feel like you made some money, you had to do it two or three times a week, mm-hmm. uh, or or more. Now the kicker was. You made less money doing those type of gigs, but if I, when I started doing jazz gigs, I was making twenty dollars more, but I didn't like it as much in the beginning because you know you, the girls hollering and you know you, all of that part, you know, make you feel like you something, you know right. what I mean? And um, 
So when I started doing the jazz thing back then, we were only getting maybe $50 a person for a five piece. And a lot of people don't know this. There was a guy by the name of Simon uh, Carter, I think it was, bass player. Mm -hmm. They had a big old picture of him at the spot, Cafe 290, holding his bass. This guy really um, integrated Buckhead and Sandy Springs because they wasn't having it. They weren't trying to have no all black bands playing nowhere around there. Wow. Uh, Teresa, Teresa Hightower. Mm -hmm. um, what's her name? Liz Spraggins and all of them. Like they really paved the way for us to be able to do what we do. Um, and you, it's, it's almost like you had to go that route to build up your reputation and whatnot. Right, right. And then once your reputation was built, then they try to, you know, they try to capitalize off that. Well, what kind of following you got or whatever, you know? It's like, well, you know, you paying me to entertain. So you want me to be, you want me to be the booking agent? You want me to be the, the entertainer? Yeah, you, right. you want me to be all of these different roles, but you only want to pay me this chump change. So the money never really been good, but what I've been thankful for is been consistent. Mm -hmm. and, and what I used to try to tell musicians, you know, if you're going to do a $100 gig or whatever, which I have no problem with doing, especially now, I'll take a $50 gig right now just so I can get out the house and play. But the way you build your character and build your, um, your base is through uh consistency mm -hmm. so if you're doing a gig and let's say you there every week and people coming especially if you're downtown mm -hmm. because those people interchange like you might get a group of people coming in from out of town for a conference or something and they see you perform oh that, you seen that girl butter well let's hire her for the national black such and such and such and such and that's how you get those other gigs mm -hmm. almost like you got to be planted somewhere where people can see you all the time right right and because you could be the baddest cat on your instrument or vocally or whatever at your house ain't nobody gonna see you at your house yeah yeah i mean they could see you now if you're doing live streams and stuff right. like that but before it's like nah you got to get out there and grind yeah That's and I, what i've learned with... is nobody gives you nothing you yeah. earn everything you get yeah yeah that that's definitely something um that that i think that um a lot of the, the new people that's coming into the scene don't really understand you got to get out there and grind because they're not just going to hand it to you and you have to be seen and that was one of the things like i was doing so many over overseas shows and then people would be like well um when can I come see you? And I was booked all the time, but you couldn't see me here in Atlanta. One, the money wasn't right. So I really, I was super selective on what I would do. But then the other thing was, um, I always felt like if you could see me, if you could see me every week at the same spot, you, you're not going to really value, you know, what I'm bringing to the table because you, 
because they would try to you know talk you down on your on your prices and everything so it was hard for me i struggled with that a little bit when i first um started coming out but then i also had to realize one it keeps your chops up if you are out there um and then two um, it gives you a base because like you was just saying one person see you there then that gets you onto another spot and onto another spot and everything like that so it's kind of like a you know a twofold to that yeah yeah you know it's it's like i said it's not a bad thing because i it, i guess it's really about perspective how you look at it because mm -hmm. i always looked at it as okay we here every week this is a paid rehearsal yeah for the next big gig you yeah. know what i'm saying and, and that's really like every other gig that I've ever gotten came from people seeing me at Barley's every week, yeah. at Cafe 290 every yeah. week. Yeah. It always came like that. So for always. somebody that's new getting into the um, industry, how do you, what do you tell them to do to get out there? As far as playing live or? Mm -hmm. Like how, do, how, do, how does someone new get gigs? Um, they try to, f this is how I would do it. And, and this is from experience. I would try to find somebody who's not, who don't have live entertainment because they might appreciate and see the value in it more so, so than somebody, oh, well, I could get such and such $500, you know what I'm saying? Which they might end up being the same thing. But when you sell yourself, as not just an entertainer but a business partner right you get treated differently right 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 because at the end of the day that's what you're doing you're not right. busting tables you're not serving drinks cooking food washing di you're not doing none of that what you're doing is the people that's sitting there getting served mm -hmm. from those people who work at those establishments you're entertaining those people and what happens when the band stops they get up and leave right right so there's value in that. Yeah, definitely. So our job as artists and musicians, we have to look at ourselves differently in that respect and sell that to these club owners. Mm -hmm. Once you sold it, it's cool, but you got to prove it to them. Mm -hmm. Because flip side is, okay, well, why I need to pay you all this? You know, how I'm going to benefit from it? Right. And you might be worth every penny of it. But if you sell it like, okay, Let's approach this as business partners. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna take your your net worth. I'm gonna take what you make in here, your base from here to here, and then you could just give me a, a percentage each time. I ain't got to come back to you at actual race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, that's a good perspective to look at. Um, so, so do you suggest to uh, a new person that's coming out? Do you think that? Um, doing the open mics and everything is beneficial for them? I think it used to be. I think right now it's kind of oversaturated because, you know, people who move in here from different places, mm -hmm. they see stuff from surface and think it's a certain way. Like, oh, until they start getting into it. Right. Then it's like, okay, I got to figure this out. I've always, you know, for the most part, I was always a supporting cast for somebody else. And I was cool with that mm -hmm. until I was, you know, I was being pushed to do more me, you know, because 
People didn't know I sang. People didn't know I did a lot of different you stuff. You know, I didn't know. Favorites. I'll just sit back and play bass, and I was cool with that. Right. You know, but then when, when I started thinking about it, I was I started thinking about it from a business perspective, and, and everything that I've learned in all those different situations, I tried to apply those things to make what I do better for me. Mm -hmm. It may work, may not work the same for somebody else, but it was working for me. Right. You know, right. I had when I started doing tribute shows. I remember all the musicians that that was like, man, why are you doing that? That's crazy. Woo, 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 woo. And it kind of made me feel a certain way at first, but then I started thinking about it. I was like, wait a minute. We go and do a gig every week and we singing somebody else's music every week. Every week. The only difference in what you're doing and what I'm doing is I'm trying to put it together, the presentation together, where it's like a real show versus yeah. Just showing up, dressed however I want to dress that day, <laughs> thinking I'm fly and coming in and have playing the music that get people calling out because you want to practice, you want to input everything that you practice all week into that song mm -hmm. on that night. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be one of those. I wanted to be different from that. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing it, it's three years in now, not everybody's doing it. Yeah. yeah. They see the value in it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, that shout out to Ken Rye because he was one of the ones who doubted me in the first, you know, because I didn't even know I was going to end up doing this. I think what happened was, I, you, I think you've been to one of my birthday jams, mm -hmm. and it's always huge, all these musicians, and it's a good time. And I wanted to do something like that, but I didn't want to do it at Cafe 290. Right. I was like, I want to do it somewhere else. And Barley's had closed down. Right. Like, I don't know what to do. So I came to him with an idea, and I remember him vividly saying, man, don't nobody know you like that. Ooh, it ain't gonna be that. And I was like, all right, well, what, what about, uh, we started talking about tributes, and I was like, well, what about the Isaac Brothers? And that was the first one. Mm -hmm. And we sold 90% of the house at City Winery. Wow. Then they had to be like, yo, okay. Well, let's let's try this. Right. <laughs> Each time we did it, it got better and better and better and better. You know, and then I just like, okay, I get it. You know, I did the corporate band thing. It's the same thing. It's like you rehearse a show. You know what I'm saying? I think the hardest part about it is is get picking the right personnel. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody that can play it sing personality wise may not gel. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I learned when I was with the Soul Circus band, like like I said, we had Mike Burton, who was the youngest person in the band, and Jimmy Brown from Brick, who was the oldest person in the band. Mm -hmm. So I got a chance to learn from all of those guys about character and personalities and stuff right. like that. Because once you it you once you heard it. You you didn't even care about the person age and stuff mm -hmm. because it was it was good. So when I was doing the tribute things, one of the things that I tr always try to do was use different people, like older people and younger people, and try to bridge that musical gap because right. it's so wide. And I feel like we got so much to share with each other that will make each other better mm -hmm. and and be good for everybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that was one of them. Um, 
one of the motivations for me even doing tribute shows. Okay. So, um, how important is it to have a, a plan B? I can tell you for myself, when I injured my knee and ended up having to have surgery, it was a big eye opener because, I mean, I've been torn since 2007 full time. And to have that halt for literally a whole year was like, oh my God, <laughs> what am I gonna do? And I had to figure out some additional hustles in my own self. So, I mean, that's how I, um, you know, became an author, an Amazon bestselling author at that and a manager, I mean, um, over the editor-in-chief of a magazine and my PR company and all that stuff, but it wouldn't have happened had I not injured myself and and had to figure out some additional hustles. I know that you had some health issues. Um, mm -hmm. You want to talk about those and then talk about um, what your, your plan Bs were. Yeah. Um, oh, man. So, I had two knee surgeries tore my meniscus disc down here in the studio in a chair. Wow. Right. <laughs> so, um, uh, right before, that was the first thing that happened. And then right before I went out with the Have Not Have Not tour, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Mm. And I didn't see a doctor before I left. I didn't really have time. Thank God Tyler had a doctor. Shout out to Dr. Ellis, Ellison. Doctor, he saw me in D.C. one morning. I was eating breakfast. Now, I didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. Tom Ellis. And he said, are you okay? And I was like, I guess. He's like, I need to see you after the show. And I said, okay. And um, it kind of spooked me a little bit because I was like, dang, what I do? Am I in trouble? <laughs> Whatever, you right. know, I'm, I'm on the road, you know. And um, when I told him what happened, he was like, oh, oh don't worry about it. He said, I, I'm a doctor. I fly in the different markets just to make sure that people's health is cool mm. so they can keep performing. So that was a godsend. I, I could thank Tyler. If I could see him today, I, I'd thank him personally for that. Mm -hmm. um, because he, he gave me my test strips, my meter, where I could check the blood too close. And, you know, kind of put me on the right path. Because, you know, when you're on the road, it's hard, like, eating healthy and doing all the right things, you know. It is. And, you know, I was a smoker back. Well, I wasn't really smoking. I was kind of on the back end of it. But I had smoked pretty much all my life. Mm -hmm. And, um... Um, so I had that issue, which led to me having two heart attacks. Mm. Um, I had just finished playing with Tito Jackson for Showcase. And that night, I was just not feeling well, but I didn't know why. Right. So that next morning is when I had the first one, and I thought it was like gas, like trap gas or whatever. Mm -hmm. And my sister was like, I had called her, she's a nurse. She said, get you some lemon juice and some water, baking soda, stir it up and drink it. And if it's gas, it's gonna relieve that gas. And I let out this big, huge gorilla belch. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, I felt better. So I was supposed to do a gig at uh, Doe, um, Christian spot over my Marietta. Yeah. And it was going on one of my birthday things. And 
I was like, man, I just don't feel good. So I ended up calling him and telling him that I wasn't coming. And I had all my friends coming out, Bone Crusher, Sherelle, everybody was going to be there that night. And I was like, man, I just don't feel good. And I, I was just laying down and my wife was talking to my sister and she said, FaceTime me, let me see him. And then she said, take him to the hospital right now before you end up next to a dead husband. Mm -hmm. That scared me. And that's what made me go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So when they checked, they did an EKG, it was like, well, you, you know, you're fine. You know, you're waiting on the doctor to come in with your blood results. So when he came in, he said, um, how you feel? I was like, I just feel weird. Like, he said, you had a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And we got to work on you right now. So. My wife, you know, we was in emergency. So my wife, she went to go move the car. By that time, they had already rolled me back and stopped working on me. And man, this is when the drama started. So they was doing whatever they was trying to do, put the stent in or whatever. They said, I went into cardiac arrest again and stopped breathing. Wow. And that means the flat line. So at that time, I didn't remember nothing. Only thing I remember, was when they rolled me back in ICU and I was coming off of the anesthesia. My wife was standing on the right side of me and the doctor was standing on this side of the bed. And he looked at my wife and shook his head and was like, God obviously got something for him to do because don't nobody make it through what he just went through. Mm. And I was in ICU for about a week. And um, I just remember it was it was weird, you know. I even had a nurse joking with me. She was like, well, "Did you see a light?" And I was like, "No, I didn't see a light, but I heard a voice." Really? And yes, and it was very audible. And that voice said, "I need your message to be love, peace, compassion, and forgiveness." Hmm. And I try to I try to every show I do without getting into this whole testimonial kind of thing, I try to make sure that when them people leave, they understand that. It's like, cause it was like God was just having this conversation with me. He was like, until we operate from that position, nothing's gonna change. Mm -hmm. It's just gonna get worse. So that's why we need to pray for Trump, mm -hmm. our leaders, we need to pray for, um, just pray for each other, you know? And, and when people heart is bad, you praying for them, their heart change. That's when they change. Right, right. It's not gonna happen until their heart change. Right. Like Pharaoh, you know, we just watched Ten Commandments. Like, let more people go. Some people will argue God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could do that. But guess what? At the end, he did end up letting them people go. You know what I'm saying? So, without getting into all that. Um, yeah, that was that was a difficult time for me, and yeah. I I had to sell a lot of my musical gear because I couldn't work. Thank God I could still do mixes and um, you know stuff in the studio, mm -hmm. which didn't require me moving around because you know my wife would have me like, nah, you ain't going nowhere. Right, like, <laughs> like you here, you know. And I had that support system around me. Thank God for my brothers Quinn and Landon and Chris Joe and. LV, DJ LV, and Mike for um, Miguel, um, Jukebox, because they, they, they held me down. Um, mm -hmm. Ken Anaya, when we was doing a pizza bar, you know, he came and brought me a check. 
Like I was playing, brought tears to my eyes. You know, I didn't realize people really cared about me like that, you know? Yeah. So that that really prompted change in me. And I was like, okay, I need to start mentoring. I need to start giving. I need to start loving. I think, you know, making people, making sure they feel good, edifying, lifting people up, making them right. smile, all of that, you know? You know, and that's, that's just where I am right now. Like, I feel like even if I don't do nothing else musically, I've done a lot. I traveled the world playing music, doing something I love to do. Mm -hmm. And now I just want to, you know, live long enough to see my grandkids grow up and get married and all that kind of stuff. You know? right. I got five grandsons. Ooh, yeah. And one on the way. Yep. Oh, okay. Another boy? Another boy. No girls. <laughs> I'm trying to get them, give me at least one girl. <laughs> but I got two beautiful daughters and they, they holding it down. They're great moms and, you know, but I still want a grandbaby. I want a I, grand, I can understand grand, that. granddaughter. Yeah, I have I have two boys. My sister has girls, and I'm like, I want I want a little girl so bad so I can dress her up and she'd be butterized, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, um, the your health your health issues, of course, slowed you down. What are you doing differently now um, than you was doing before? I know for me, it slowed me down to the point where. I am now, you know, I had to shift into some other gears in order to make some money for myself. Even like with this corona going, coronavirus going on, um, I'm sure things have shifted for you. So how are you, how are you coping and what are you doing now to, you know, still get, pay them bills? Um, well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of surviving off of some residual stuff that I've done. Residual stuff. Yep, and um, <laughs> you know my church. Um, you know, God blessed them. Um, Fountain of Faith. Um, I just, I guess the main thing is staying motivated because sometimes when things happen, you you just get like for me, it's like I, once I'm not motivated, it's just like if I'm not feeling it, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. You know, that just, that's just what it is. Um, and I'm just getting back to that point because last week, you know, I thought I had a little bit of the corona, you know. You know, temperature 101, 103 mm. for about four days, feeling weak and couldn't walk up the steps, all of this, you know. And I was like, you know, God, <laughs> if I had two heart attacks and it wasn't time for me to go, it can't be time for me to go with this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and as soon as I started praying and turn that thing around, you know, and mentally, my body started getting better. And, I, and now I, I feel like like I can sing again because I didn't even have a voice. Like if we had to do this like yesterday, the day before yesterday, I didn't even have a voice. That's how bad wow. it was. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely glad to see that you're feeling better and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm man, it's a blessing just just to be here and to ask somebody ask to even do what you're doing, you know. I'm like, wow, me? <laughs> you know, it's like I don't take that for granted, you know what I'm saying? It's, you know, I'm just me. Yeah. You know, I'm no not no 
phenomenal superstar and all that. I've been on some big stages and all that kind of stuff, but you know, I'm just me. You know what well, I'm saying? I do want to take take one thing from you. You are a superstar to me. So just well, sitting I appreciate I, that. Yeah, I've always um ever since I first met you, you've always had a very humbling spirit and you've always been, you know, super nice and, and everything. So I've always looked up to you. I remember when I called you for my artist Rock the Mic. Um for those that don't know, I have a um a nonprofit that does uh performances and we give back to the college homeless students. And when I called John, he was like, I got you. And you came out there, that's when I found out you sung. I didn't even know you sung. I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm, I got to give that credit to my wife because when I had did a smooth jazz project um, back in the day, and you know, I thought it was pretty decent, but, but I, I probably did about seventy percent of all of the background vocals on it. Yeah. So when people saw the credits, they was like, "You sing?" I was like, "Yeah, I sing a little bit." And to be honest with you, that was the first time that I sang since my mom passed because mm. that that part of me just left like yeah. i wasn't even playing bass back then. i was like the bobby brown dance step sing. i was that dude back then which is probably hard to picture but yeah <laughs> <laughs> and but when 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 she passed that thing just left mm -hmm. and it didn't come back until i did that project and my wife was like why don't you sing more you know, and then I was at my church, this one church I was playing um, outreach. And I was playing bass. I was playing for 10 years before I even opened my mouth. And when they heard me sing, they was like, yo, you tripping. And then that led into something else, which I had no idea I had, but um, a thing in the ministry, you know. And I was doing praise and worship and what? they put me up to preach sometimes and and I, it was it was it was stuff coming out of me that i didn't even know was in me yeah <laughs> you know to be honest yeah. with you but i remember one day telling god i said god if you allow me to live i will live the best life i can for you and do all i can to edify you Mm -hmm. and spread your love and your gospel with your people. Right. Like, this is not me. And, and I always believed that the gift of me playing music had nothing to do with that, but it had everything to do with being in front of the people to deliver a message. Yeah. And I'm starting to understand that a little better now. Wow. That's, that's really awesome. So um, final question, what would you um, say to an artist uh, or a musician that's coming up today on how to um, get out there into the industry? Oh, man. It's kind of hard because it's, it's, everything is different now. Like it's not what it used to be when I was coming up. It really is. <laughs> it really so, it's like, I, I almost can't even relate. But the one thing that I will say to anybody, whether it's music or whatever profession is, always stay humble. Because one day you could be on top of the world, and the next day the world could be on top of you. 
just like that. Wow. And we're all experiencing it right now. Yeah, right now. Um, always stay humble. Always give and be willing to give and be willing to share. Like, and I, you know, I have so many, so much respect from musicians, and I, I think most of it don't even come from my plan, but it, it's about how I treat them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I just treat everybody the same. Like I'm not giving reverence one person over another person. Like we, you know, we we all we all humans have. Uh, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Right. You know, meaning that everything that you accomplish, everything that you are, everything that you have is because of God. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not because of you. You ain't nobody. You are nothing. You know, so I try to, I try to, um, as much as I can, display that. And hopefully, if they could take a piece of that, with them, then I feel like I'm successful. You know what I'm saying? Like I've given away so much stuff, you know, people, you know, um, I can remember this one time, I, the first time I met Jay Troy, who was an awesome bass player. Um, we was talking about something, he needed a, a guitar stand or something. And I just gave it to him. You know, I would do stuff like that, you know, all the time. And he was like, yo, you giving me them? I'm like, yeah. Like, you know, and then, you know, my thing is, you know, if somebody do something nice to you like that, then you do do the same thing for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Just keep it going. It's like paying it forward, you know what I mean? And I believe all of my blessings came from just being like that. Because had it not been for the Ronnie Garretts and and some of the other people, Meyer Walkers and all of those people who gave, gave me opportunities and chances, I wouldn't be probably be doing what I'm doing or what I've done, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'm grateful for that, you know. Some awesome advice. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being on Transparency Podcast. Um, you've given a lot of great tips and, and information, some things I definitely didn't even know about you. I thought I knew a little bit of everything. <laughs> so. <laughs> So you've had a, uh, an, amazing, an amazing journey, and, and I know that this isn't even half of it. You know what I mean? So um, thank oh, no. you so much for being a part of the show. And can you tell everybody um, how they can um, get to your music and everything? Yes. Um, I have music on iTunes. Uh, I spell my name J-O-N Roberts. So if you type in John Roberts back in the day, my record will pop up. Uh, I also have a website, robertsentertainment.net, where I have information on there and some sharing photos and videos of different artists that I've played with. Um, And, you know, y'all can reach out to Butter and get my number if you're really trying to get in touch with me. And we could do it like that, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. So there you have it. We have Mr. John Roberts again. Thank you so much. And I'm going to sign off. Peace. Thank you, Butter. Thank you.